Thank you for listening to the Rivers Church podcast with Pastor Andre and the Rivers team. Be sure to subscribe for a weekly dose of encouragement and inspiration to help your daily life. We pray that this message will help in whatever season of life you might be in. Wonderful to be in God's presence. I want to kick off today and uh, I've entitled the message Christmas, an incredible new beginning. Because it was a completely new beginning with anything that had happened. And give me a chance to paint a picture, and then we'll look at it under some headings, which will help us just think clearly. Because Christmas Day is not a day where I give you things that you can do, you know, like how-tos. It's more about understanding and, and, and absorbing knowledge and wisdom of what actually happened. And I'll do it under five headings. And, and this, is, this is what I want to open up. I want to open up with a statement this morning. Never underestimate the depth of the Christmas story. It's deeper than you think. And sometimes the nativity scenes that we see are very sweet, but they take away the depth of what actually happened at Christmas. As I start this morning... I want to just remind you of something I read recently. In 2015, Microsoft actually built what they called the quietest place on earth. They built a room that sits on vibration damping springs and it's enveloped by six layers of concrete and steel and it blocks every sound out of the outside world. It's got fiberglass wedges inside from the floor and the ceilings and the walls, and they break up any sound waves in the room before they've got a chance to reverberate. And they say few can stand being in the room for a prolonged amount of time. They say after a number of minutes, you begin to hear your own heartbeat. A little longer, if you, if you wait, you can hear your own blood flowing through your veins. And if you move, you can hear your bones or your joints grinding. They say with no sound from the outside world, the absolute silence gradually manifests itself in an unbearable ringing in your ears. Amazing thing. Uh, the Smithsonian Institute, they're like a scientific institute in America, they did an analysis and they said this, Earth's quietest place will drive you crazy in 45 minutes. You'll go mad. In fact, when uh, Microsoft was interviewed by CNN, They said this, the longest continuous time anyone has spent inside this room is about 55 minutes. My point is this, we can't stand silence, but God uses it. And I don't know if you realize, before Jesus came, there were 400 years of silence. Silence is an amazing thing. God uses it, but we hate it, and it freaks us out. Did you know that music is comprised of both notes and silences? And the silences are actually important. Imagine if we just add ding, 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 you'd be like, but it's like, ding, 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 ding. it like helps you. It's like a breath before something happens. And silence is very important and God uses it. And he used the silence before Jesus came. Here's an interesting thing I read, a volcano just before it erupts, it's at its quietest. It makes the least noise before it erupts. And so it is with God. So it was with Jesus that just before the Son of God was born on the planet, 400 years of silence between Malachi and Matthew preceded it before one of the most powerful events broke out on our planet. Was God angry and giving humans the silent treatment like some of your relatives do to you? Why was there no revelation or word from God? 
God wanted the silence because something amazing and big was about to happen when Jesus Christ was born. You may have a Bible or have seen Bibles where there's some books in between Malachi and Matthew. It's called the Apocrypha, and uh, there are 14 books there that uh, are listed, but they are inaccurate historically. They don't confirm or line up with the rest of Scripture, and so we don't acknowledge them, and uh, they don't really add value, and in some instances, they even contradict Scripture. We believe that silent period was when God said nothing because he was waiting for his son to come to the earth. Now, Malachi ends with this. Malachi says that the son of righteousness, speaking of Jesus, would rise with healing in his wings. And it also says that Elijah would come. When Jesus walked on the planet, John the Baptist preceded him. You all remember that? And when Jesus came across John, he said this. He said in uh, Matthew chapter 11, for all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you're willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. It seems that from Malachi to Matthew, nothing happened because there was a pregnant silence before Jesus Christ broke onto the planet. The most powerful thing that could ever happen needed some silence to make us hungry and to prepare us. Let me give you five things here and we'll, we'll discuss them and hopefully you get benefit this morning because the silence is, is very, very important. Uh, number one, this period was void of prophecy but not void of preparation. God never spoke but God was busy preparing. Uh, many books have been written about this silence and one of them by H.A. Ironside called The, the 400 Silent Years. Uh, he, he speaks about the changes that God was busy making and the preparation God was making. And he says, the Old Testament closes with the people of the Jews partially restored to their land, but under Persian dominion. The New Testament opens with the same people greatly multiplied and dwelling in the same country, but under Roman sway. What brought about these changes? What movements, civil, religious, and political were in progress during the 400 silent years after prophetic testimony had died away with a last solemn warning of a possible curse to smite the land and the people once so richly blessed. God was preparing circumstances to fulfill all the prophecies of the Old Testament and to bring his son onto the planet. And so there was no prophecy, but there was preparation. In fact, it's interesting because they were, the Jews were under Persian rule. Then they, became, uh, they, they came under Greek rule. And Greek rule was interesting because it brought the Greek language to the whole world. The whole world spoke Greek. Also, it translated the Old Testament into Greek called the Septuagint. So everyone was able to read the prophecies about Jesus. And then the Romans came along. And then the world was dominated by the Romans. And the Jews under the Romans uh, developed and, and grew. And the Romans uh, built roads throughout their empire. So you have one language. You have all these roads. And it's the perfect time for Jesus to come and for the gospel to spread and for the church to explode. God was preparing after the silence, uh, even though he was quiet and he was getting ready and he was getting people hungry and thirsty for the Son of God's arrival. The second thing is this, God's plans and timing often involve silences and waiting periods. I wanna remind you today that if you're waiting for something and God seems silent, he's not holding out on you and he's not giving you the silent treatment. He works like that and silences and waiting periods are part of God's plan. He doesn't speak continuously like some of us. 
Noah had to build the ark for 120 years and wait for the rain to come. Israel had to wait, and this is very important, 400 years they waited in Egypt until Moses delivered them. It's a long time to wait until they became a nation, and we'll look at that a bit later. Then they also had to wait 400 years after Malachi for the Son of God, the Messiah, the awaited one to come. Mary and Joseph, once they were engaged uh, and the Son of God was planted in her womb as a virgin, they had to wait one whole year before they could consummate their marriage. Today, that's impossible. I think more marriages were lost if people waited and didn't rush into marriage like they do and realized that God is not interested in just love, 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 but He's interested in waiting, waiting, waiting. Just a thought. Just look straight ahead. Don't look at your neighbor. Don't bump anyone. But I think preparation and waiting is part of God's plan. Anna waited until she was 84 years old before she could lift up Jesus in the Gospel of Luke and thank the Lord for the arrival of the Messiah. Simeon was also an old man in Luke's Gospel as they waited for the Messiah to come. Charles Spurgeon says this about waiting. He says, if the Lord Jehovah makes us wait, let us do so with our whole hearts. For blessed are they that wait for him. He is worth waiting for. The waiting itself is beneficial to us. It tries faith, exercises patience, trains submission, and endears the blessing when it comes. The Lord's people have always been awaiting people. See, Anna waited until she was 84. Simeon waited until he was old. They didn't allow the waiting to deaden their faith, and we shouldn't allow waiting to deaden our faith. Israel had to wait for hundred years. In Ecclesiastes 3, Solomon speaking about the periods of, of life and the cycles of life. He says this, he says there's a time to keep silence and a time to speak. God will speak sometimes, sometimes he'll be silent. And he was silent before Jesus came. And with the birth of Jesus, if you like, there was a 400 years of pregnant silence before the birth of of the Messiah. Galatians 4 and verse 4 says this, now when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, to save those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Just look at this verse with me. Do you notice that it says that we, didn't, we, 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 don't, we don't get freed from law so we can get another set of laws. We get freed from law and religion so that we can be sons and daughters. He came to bring a new family. Think of this. Yeah, that's a handful of you are clapping and thank you very much. I so appreciate it. Here's what's important. People don't think church is important. You weren't saved so that occasionally you could come to church when you really needed it. Church is what you were saved to. You, you, you were saved to become sons. You weren't meant to be part of a religious organization. You were meant to be part of a family. A couple more people are clapping. It's getting warm in the house. Now, here's the thing. If Israel were in Egypt for 400 years, Moses comes along and he leads them out. They become the people of God called Israel. Isn't that true? They were slaves in Egypt. Now he leads them out. Now they become the people of God. You see, God didn't save them so that they could just be religious. He saved them so that they could be his people. In fact, he calls them the apple of his eye. So when Jesus came, Jesus came to bring a new beginning, not the same as bringing the children of Israel out under a religious system, but to bring us into a relationship. Jesus is called actually our older brother, and we are sons and daughters of the living God. 
That's why there should be no segregation in a church other than the different cultural distinctives. We are all one in Christ because we're part of one family. It's very interesting when Egypt, uh, when Israel was saved out of Egypt, you know the word Egypt in the Hebrew, and the Hebrew is very, very powerful when you study it. The word in, in uh, Hebrew of, e of Egypt is Mitzrium, and it means constricted or confined place. Isn't that interesting? They were in a limited place. But when you're also in a womb, you're also in a limited place. And it's funny, when Israel came out of Egypt, they went through the Red Sea, they were baptized. They were first born in Egypt, listen. They were born in Egypt, but then when they went through the Red Sea, they were born again when they came out. Then they were 40 years in the wilderness. 40 is a very interesting number. It's the number of pregnancy, 40 weeks. And it's the symbol mem in the Hebrew is 40, which looks like an open womb. So when we get become Christians because of Jesus, this is not just some thing where we, oh, he, he came at Christmas, how sweet, let the, let the children do their little play with their wings. No, this was a profound change, a new beginning after silence, where we become new people under, under new thinking. We get born again, as Jesus spoke of, and that's why we've been brought into a new way of life. Number three, the third thing here, and I have to go quickly because I want to make sure I don't leave out the things near the end. Mary's life broke the silence of God. Mary's life broke the silence of God. I don't know if you ever think about the importance of Mary. The Catholics worship her. We don't. We honor her and we note her importance. And uh, God often starts great things in small places and uses obscure people to do them. And Mary was chosen. Just think about this. They lived in a place called Nazareth. Do you know that Nazareth only had between 100 and 150 people? And here's this girl, this girl that gets the eye of God. Her and her husband are noticed by the Lord. Now we know that John the Baptist was born six months earlier, came from Zechariah and Elizabeth who were relatives of Mary, are you with me? And you say, well, they came first. No, I think God, God noticed Mary. That's why he chose such old people to bring about John the Baptist. Because they weren't around very long. He said, I found a Mary. I think I can bring a John the Baptist through her cousin. And so God notices this woman. It, 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 only 150 people maximum in Nazareth. And uh, Nazareth, the word Nazareth actually means root or branch because she had to come from the line of David because David was, the, uh, was promised that from him, uh, his root and branch, the Messiah would come. And so it's very, very interesting here. When you look at Mary's family, Mary wasn't just some odd person, you know, some random person. She's like, oh, wow. No, she was very important. Her father was Joachim and her mother was Anna. Anna, her mother, came from the tribe of Levi, and Joachim, her father, was from Judah, and Joachim, her father, was the keeper of the scrolls in a place called Sepphoris, which was just six kilometers away from Nazareth. There were about uh, 30,000 people, sorry, living there, and would, what would happen is all the people in Nazareth would go and work there on a daily basis. It was on a hill. It was a very important city, massive architecture, wonderful buildings. It was called the Pearl of Galilee, and Herod Antipas made it his capital. 
And in that place was the, the headquarters of the Pharisees and all the most important scrolls of Israel were kept there and Mary's father was in charge of them and he would have taught her the word of God. So she would have known God's will. She wasn't just some girl. That's why when Mary heard about that, the angel came and said to you, you can have a child. She doesn't sing a rap song. How cool is this? Hashtag blessed. Hashtag humbled. Hashtag bump. Post, post another picture, post. No, no, no. Mary proclaims in 10 verses an incredible song of prophecy about the Messiah coming and how she had been chosen. And she said, let it be to me according to your word. This was not some random thing. God spotted her. He chose her. Her father had ministered the word to her. She came from a godly family. She came from the line of David. Both her and Joseph came from godly lines and fulfilled prophecy. And she broke the silence with her life. And God chose her to put his son in there. The, the, the city of uh, Sepphoris, is, the, the, the word actually means beauty. And that's where Jesus would have worked. In fact, ladies, you had known Greek. The word Sephora is, is uh, Greek for beauty. That's why you have the makeup company Sephora. Just thought I'd mention that. I go there often when I travel to get makeup for Pastor Wilma, and I get a list. Anyway, Sephiris was, Sephiris was important because I want you to understand something here. These were not some random people who didn't know what was going on. And Mary and Joseph would have lived in Nazareth. You know why? Because all the people who worked in Sephiris and were, were, were working on the buildings and everything, would have lived in the settlements around Sepphoris, and one of them was Nazareth. And God made sure that she lived in Nazareth, because that's where the branch and root of David needed to come from. But they would work in Sepphoris. So here's the thing. Jesus, when he was born, would have gone up there and been trained by his grandfather in the word of God. That's why when Jesus was 12, he sat in the temple and he talked to the scribes and Pharisees about the word, because his grandfather, Jehoiakim, would have trained him. Jesus also would have been what they call in the Bible, we often read the word carpenter, but it's the Greek word tekton, which means skilled artisan or craftsman. It didn't need, didn't need to be wood. It actually could be stone and mosaics. And this place was incredibly beautiful. They would have gone up there every day and worked there and then gone back to Nazareth as a family. So here's the thing. Joseph was not a poor, ignorant man. Neither was Jesus an ignorant, poor man. They were artisans who worked and generated money. And Jesus was part of this big city. In fact, at night, if you looked from Nazareth, it would be lit up on the hill. Maybe that's where Jesus spoke about the city on the hill. As he grew up, he remembered Sepphoris. And he would have been educated in business, farming, agriculture, engineering, construction, merchants. Jesus was no fool trained in both life and the word. Why? Because Mary was found to be the one that God could trust. She didn't take the glory to herself, but she carried the Son of God. Do you know that the church has been called to do exactly the same? We've been called to carry the church, not glorify ourselves through the church. And she breaks the silence, and uh, God uses her, and her lineage, and her character, and her dedication all line up for God to use her. In fact, you, you might not know this, but Mary was the one who told both Matthew and Luke everything they wrote in their Gospels. That's why in Luke's Gospel you have Mary's song. You have the story of the angel visiting her. She would have sat down with them and relayed all these things to them, and they, as a result, wrote the Gospels. And so we have Mary to thank not only for birthing Jesus, but for the legacy of what we read in the Bible today. Mary broke the silence and 
I don't know about you, but I want to have a life that breaks the silence of God. Is this helping you today? Number four, here's the fourth thing I want to think about. I want you to think about. A new family beginning took place when Jesus was born. He said, what do you mean by that? A new family beginning. Well, let me backtrack again. Israel, when they came out of Egypt, became a new people or a new family. Who led them out of Egypt? Moses. And Moses' family, Aaron and Miriam and Jethro, his father-in-law, were responsible for leading them out and making them into a new nation. That's why Moses is always spoken of as a type of savior, a type of Jesus. He led them out of one land into another. Now Jesus comes and his whole family, not just him, his whole family is involved within him in bringing about a new people called the church. Now many of you wouldn't know this, but 17 of Jesus' family were in the ministry with him. So look at this on the screen with me, and you'll see that Jesus was one of seven children that came from Mary and Joseph. Mary's family would have been involved in raising her, teaching her the word of God. Uh, Mary's father would have taught Jesus the word as, as his grandchild and, and raised him. Jesus had several brothers, James, Joseph, Judas, Simon, and then he had two, at least two sisters because the Bible says he had sisters. And here's the thing, his brothers initially didn't believe in him, so if your family don't know who Jesus is, don't be surprised. Even Jesus' family didn't know who he was. It took them a while to get it. Are you with me? And, and so we see here that there's also Mary's sister called Salome. She was at the cross. In fact, there were three Marys at the cross. There was Mary, the mother of Jesus, Mary, the, the, the wife of Clopas, whose, whose children were the sons of Zebedee, and then there was Mary Magdalene. But Mary had Salome as a sister. And you can see from this diagram here, James was married. And in the book of 1 Corinthians, it tells us he had a wife. And then his son Judas was born. And the Bible says in the upper room in the book of Acts, chapter 1, he was there praying. So clearly he was involved in the ministry. And then we have Elizabeth and Zechariah, who, uh, who had John the Baptist, who were actually, the, John the Baptist was the cousin of Jesus. All these 17 people were involved in the ministry and the family bringing about the church, which was like a replacement of Moses' family and Israel. Everything in the Bible has parallels. It's not just random things. This is a type of that. Moses was a type of savior, also had an unusual birth, obscure, in, a, in the bulrushes, and his mother raised him, same as Jesus. Nazareth, a young girl, raises him. Can, can you see the picture? And so this whole new family is brought about, and Jesus, Jesus becomes our savior and ushers in, like Moses was a priest and his family entered the priesthood, Jesus was both a priest and the sacrifice and brought about a whole new family. Number five, is this making sense? And here's where we get to the real crux of it. A brand new way of being saved was ushered in when Jesus came. When Jesus came, it was a complete new beginning and a new way of being saved. In fact, the Bible tells us here in Hebrews 1 and verse 1, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. That's the whole of the Old Testament. But it says... In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and I want you to notice this phrase, and through whom also he made the universe. Why on earth does it tell us 
that God is speaking to us through his son, and then it tells us that he made the universe. It's because it's a new beginning. In Genesis, God created man and walked with man, and man failed. Now God sends his son, the creator who was with him in the beginning, and God's going to recreate man by dying on the cross and paying for his sins. Are you with me? That's why it mentions him as the creator. That's why when Jesus came, he didn't come to wow people. Check this. You got your phone ready? Check this. You see this water? <laughs> what would you like? Merlot? Capsav? A blend? No, he didn't come to play games. He came to heal and restore and raise the dead and turn the loaves and uh, multiply the loaves and fishes, turn the water into wine. He did all that to show he was the creator. He wasn't just another prophet. I get annoyed at churches, and, and let me just say this carefully. We believe in healing. The Bible promises that we need to pray for people and they will be healed. How many of you know some people die? We pray for children and they die. It's a sad thing. We pray for children and they live. Wonderful thing. So we believe in healing and we leave the results to God. We pray for people to be delivered, set free. We, we pray for breakthrough. But we are not creators. And so churches who pretend to raise the dead, who pretend that people in wheelchairs can walk, when they actually could walk all along, they just can't walk far. It's scandalous because we're trying to pretend we're the creator. Now, Jesus was unique, and he came to recreate, symbolizing that all these things he was doing on the earth were a precursor to what he would ultimately do because he was born to die and pay for our sins, and that it would be good enough for God and would suffice. You see, when Jesus came, this is very important to understand, there were three sects on the planet, three religious sects. The first were the Pharisees. They believed in the resurrection of the dead. They followed the law of Moses. They even added to the law of Moses. They made it impossible for people to serve God. If you were poor and you didn't have money, you couldn't offer a sacrifice in the temple. You, you really battled, and they were quite exclusive. So Pharisees had high standards. They looked down on other people. So if you were weak or sick or poor, or you were a sinner, or, or you found yourself in unfortunate things that were bondages in your life, alcohol or something, or drugs or whatever it was, you, 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 would, you could never be part of the Pharisees. Then you had a second sect called the Sadducees. The, they didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. That's why they were sad, you see. And they were strict with the law, but they were interesting. They were like woke Christians today. They liked to accommodate the world because they didn't want to be ostracized. They wanted the money and the prestige, but they still wanted to serve God. There's nothing new under the sun. If you think the modern church is, is unusual, no, it's just a repeat of what we've had throughout history. And so the Sadducees played to the Roman government. And so if you wanted to be saved, they didn't really offer you a way of salvation. They offered you a circle that was social. Now, if you really wanted to be committed, you had the third sect, and they were called the Essenes. And the Essenes were people who were intense. They were like some of the modern-day churches. They, 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 they believed the Bible, the Word of God. They were completely intense. Most of them weren't married, and all they did was study the Bible, fast, and pray, and they lived in the wilderness. So if you were a normal working person, there was no chance you could join the Essenes because you couldn't relate to normal life. So Jesus comes. You've got Pharisees, you've got Sadducees, and you've got Essenes, and he says, shh. I'm here, put your trust in me, I will die for your sins, I'm here to love you, forgive you, that doesn't mean you could do what you like, if you follow me and trust me, salvation of a brand new kind with a new beginning will come your way, that's why the tax collectors, the prostitutes, 
And every broken person followed Jesus, but wait, they were transformed. I have to add a caveat to you. In the modern world today, people want to just come to church and stay as they are. Now, you come as you are, but you don't stay as you are. He wants you to be transformed. So this whole brand new way of salvation took place when Jesus came. You see, here's the thing with religion. Religion is good because it regulates your life and it helps you to live right, but religion can never bridge the gap between us and God. We fall short. Are you with me? Our good works, our religion, our morality, fine as it might be, uh, the river's foundation. We, we feed 60,000 children a week, but it can't earn us heaven because the gulf is too big. Are you with me? Sinful mankind can never through these things get to heaven and say, here I am, Lord. Let me in. No, we only get in because Jesus bridges the gap. Isn't that true? He's the one we walk on who takes us to heaven as we trust him. That doesn't mean we now ignore morality and we ignore religion and we ignore living for God, but it doesn't save us. Jesus saves us. See, here's, a, here's an important thing to understand that when Jesus came, he came to free us from something called sin. I don't know if you've heard of it. Did you know that two years ago, the Oxford Dictionary removed the word sin from their dictionary? It means to fall short of what God requires. And sin has a grip on you, but sin also has a penalty. And Jesus came to be the sacrifice for that sin, to free us from it, and to change our lives. Now, how many of you know Jesus was born in Bethlehem? His mother and father lived in Nazareth. They went to the census. He was born in Bethlehem. Why was he born in Bethlehem? Because Bethlehem, which is what the Jews call it, Bethlehem is house of bread. So here's the thing. And Bethlehem, the value of it is 490. 490 is the value of what's called forgiveness. Do you remember in Matthew chapter 18? Jesus, are you all with me? Matthew chapter 18, Jesus uh, is, is approached by Peter, and Peter says to him, how many times should we forgive? Seven times? Jesus says no. Seventy times? Seven, which is 490. So Bethlehem is the house of bread. Bethlehem has the value of forgiveness. And Bethlehem also speaks about completeness. So Jesus comes not only to forgive us, to be the bread of life, but to complete our lives. But wait, I'm not done. You wonder why when Jesus came, why did God reveal himself to shepherds? Was there no one else around? It's like, it's like driving through Joburg at Christmas. There's no one around. Oh, there's a couple of oaks on the corner. Hey, the son of God's been born. No, no. The reason he appeared to the shepherds is because the Bible tells us in Micah that when the son of God would come, he would be revealed at a place called Migdal Eder, which is called the Tower of the Flock. And legend says in that place, the shepherds were, they were watching over their flocks and looking to see that the sheep were spotless because they would be Passover lambs. So now the angel comes and announces to them, and, and here's where you've got to get away from the nativity scenes because it'll destroy you. The nativity scenes where the kids run on stage with the little wings. I'm here to tell you, the angel, the, the, the Lord is coming. No, no, the Bible tells us, listen, I want to read it to you because it's, it's pretty profound. It says here in Luke, Luke chapter 2, there were angels living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks by night. See, they were watching to see that they, weren't, that they were spotless because they would be offered a sacrifice. An angel, this is the archangel, of the Lord appeared to them, listen, 
And the glory of the Lord shone around them. That's all of heaven. And then it naturally says, and they were terrified. You, you see, when heaven comes, it's not like, I'm here to announce glad tidings of great joy. The shepherds, ah, lovely, love. Yeah. Now, this is like, and then it goes into, I want, you to, oh, I want you to notice this. Very, very important here. It says this. It says, suddenly a great company of the heavenly host. Do you know who they are? They are the army of God. The army of God is referred to as the heavenly host. They appeared with the angel, watch this, praising God. By the way, praising God doesn't mean they were singing. Because nowhere in the Bible do you find angels singing. So when we sing, hark the herald angels sing, these guys didn't come. No, they came and they were like, they were terrified. They weren't amazed. They were terrified. Why? Because the angel of the Lord and the army of God was announcing no more sacrifices of lambs. The lamb of God, whose blood would take away the sin of the whole world has arrived. So this entire sacrificial system is removed. That's why when John the Baptist announced Jesus, he said, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This was a brand new beginning where all sin would be dealt with, not just covered over by lamb's blood, not just dealt with by a religious system, but the savior of the world who wants to come and live in our hearts was offered to us, and that's what Christmas is about. Is this helping you today? Basically what it was, was Genesis was man created and man sinned, Jesus came and recreated man. That's why the Bible says in 2 Corinthians, if any person is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. If you're a believer today, as I wrap up, and in a moment I'm gonna pray with you, I wanna just remind you that if you're in a place of silence or waiting, and God hasn't broken through for you yet, and he hasn't spoken, and, and you feel like the heavens are brass, keep waiting, keep trusting. Because often before a great volcanic explosion, before something powerful, there's often a silence. And God's not finished. He's not ignoring you. You need to trust him. You see, our faith saves us, but our faith also sustains us as we wait on God. If you're here today and you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, you've never invited him in, the Bible says you need to believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, that he is Lord and he's the son of God. And if you confess him and, and you make him your personal savior, the Bible says you will be saved. And so one needs to make that decision. If maybe if you're visiting today, you've never made that decision. In a moment, we're gonna pray and give you an opportunity to respond to God because you, you know what God did in the person of Jesus? It was a gesture to us. Here's my son. You don't deserve him. I'm surprising you with him. You don't merit this, but I'm giving him for your salvation. Wonderful thing. What we need to do now is we need to not be just surprised by it, we need to receive it. As I close today, I read a fascinating story that just before Christmas in 1974, four garbage men, you know, dirt collectors were in the streets in Paris behind the Elysee Palace, Avenue Malingli, and they were cleaning the streets, and this is where the prime minister lives, and a policeman stopped them, and he said, uh, someone wants to speak to you, and out came the prime minister, and he stopped these four garbage collectors, and he said to them, here's a bottle of champagne for each of you, 
and that's real, real champagne, not like ours. Um, and then he gave them each a turkey, and he wished them a blessed Christmas, and he went back in. And you know, Christmas is really like that. God has come out, and he's extended to us a gift that we don't deserve. He has come out of the shadows and out of the silence and offered us this gift, and he wants us to receive it. And we are impoverished, and we need to receive it. But listen, Christmas is more than turkeys and champagne and meals. It's about receiving the gift of God. And God's gesture today is, here's my son. Would you take him? Would you take him? We hope you have been blessed and inspired by this message.